Hello and welcome to Effin Hormones, the podcast about perimenopause and beyond. Hey, and guess what? We've only got an actual MP for you on this episode. And it's not just any old MP. You're going to be hearing from Carolyn Harris, who's been doing absolutely loads to help people going through menopause. You'll hear all about what she's been up to very, very shortly. Uh, We've got so much to talk to Carolyn about that this episode is pretty much all about her. But it's not just me. Effin Hormones is also my mate Terry and Bina. And Helen is not here. She's on strike. Helen's on strike this episode. <laughs> She's in solidarity with all the strikers. It's Go the Helen. 1st of February when we're recording this. <laughs> it's strike yeah. day, but you are sadly, sadly missed, Helen. But are we all all right, guys? Are we all right, gang? All grand. Starting to get light now. I mean, yes. today it was five o'clock and it was still just light. I was like, yeah. And it's the end of January, which went on for far too long. Bailey, did you even do dry January? I had the no. longest January out of everybody. Didn't even have a single drop of drink. Absolutely no, mentalist. nothing. mentalist. I and will never do dry January. I worked out far too late. That January had five Sundays in it. Sundays are made for drinking real ale like an old man in a pub. <laughs> and I couldn't do it. <laughs> real ale. That's five. Is that five, your tipple? Five, of sun, five Sundays without ale. Yeah. Love real ale. Oh, Brilliant. Bring Brilliant. it on. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I find that, you know, just doing this podcast is not enough. I feel like I want to talk about the menopause 24-7. And sometimes I get a better response to this than other times. So, for example, last weekend I went to my Slimming World meeting and the lady running it just totally forgot what she was saying mid-sentence and went, oh no, menopause, brain fog, and then... Everyone started talking about the menopause. So then I had to pipe up about our podcast, told them all about it, chipped in the conversation, did a posting on the Slimming World Facebook group, link into our Facebook group, all of that. But then, and that was great because, you know, it was a captive room of um, middle aged women, basically. But then I do find myself having conversations about the menopause where it's entirely inappropriate and people have got no idea what the fuck I'm talking about. For example, a couple of weeks ago, I went to Timpsons to get my keys cut. (laughs) There was a man behind the counter who must have been about 19. And it must have been on my brain for some reason. I just started talking about how good Timpsons menopause policy was. (laughs) (laughs) No, but that's good. But but it is apparently really good. And they treat their employees very, very well, actually, that company. But that's that kind of thing you could tweet James Timpson and he'd be so pleased to hear that, like, for sure. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, the 19-year-old boy that I was talking to had had not even ever heard the word menopause. He was like, what's that? And there's this woman in the queue behind me just laughing hysterically (laughs) as I'm trying to explain what the menopause is to a teenage boy. Well, you have to get the woman from the queue to listen to the podcast. (laughs) I should have done. Damn, I missed a trick there. Oh, my God. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. No, that's brilliant. I've got... um, a sort of slightly different issue in that a lot of people from work and a lot of people who I know I don't even necessarily know but where I work mm. if I speak to them and I've not necessarily had an interaction before they go oh I've heard you um I've heard your podcast which part of me is like oh brilliant that's great and then the other half of me is like oh my god <laughs> that's also <laughs> slightly mortifying because of the stuff we talk about yeah. <laughs> and how much um so I'm like you 
And this is probably how a lot of people probably feel who are out there in, with a bit of a public profile is, you know way more about me than I know yeah. about you. Yeah. It's a little bit disconcerting. So it's great. I love it that people are listening, but I am also like, oh my God, what are you thinking whilst I'm trying to have this serious conversation with you about work? What <laughs> What are you actually thinking about? Are you thinking about vaginal dryness? Yes. <laughs> like, That's exactly yeah. what they're thinking, but you know, when they're talking. No, I hope not. I really hope not. Yeah. It's easy to forget that people are actually listening and paying attention. Yeah. One of my friends I've not seen for years, she's a, she's an old colleague and, and and was a really good friend, but we've sort of not seen each other in a long time. And she listens to the podcast. And actually, it's been really nice in that sense, because you forget who's listening or I don't know who's listening because we've got a lot of listeners now, which is brilliant. But she got in touch and said, oh, we, we you know, we, we have to stop doing this Christmas card thing where we say, oh, we will see each other this year because we haven't for years. She listens to the podcast and she picked up on something I'd said in the podcast and was like, right, we definitely have to do this this year. So we're getting a date in. I haven't given her a date yet that we, when we can do, but we're finally going to meet up and it's been it's been donkey. So it's uh, it's helping bring old friends together as well, this podcast. Yeah, that's great. Fantastic. Aww. I love it. Aww. Aww. But I have the thing like you as well, Bina, when someone says they've listened and you're like, what did I say in it? Or, or, oh my God, how it's a bit mortifying, isn't it? Yeah, what did I say at that? Yeah. But then we hear the the likes of, um, oh my God, my brain's gone dead. The couple we had on, amazing couple. but you hear them talking about JB the and Sharon. JB and Sharon. JB and Sharon. When you hear yeah. Sharon, when you hear Sharon talking about the impact that the podcast has had on her life, you think that's what it's about, isn't it? That's why we need to keep doing this. Yeah, and I have to say, you know, the whole reason we said we wanted to do this was because nobody was talking about it, and I guess that's part of the the slight feeling mortified from time to time is the fact that we've chosen to do this and stop making it such a breaking the taboos around it and talking about it more openly um so yeah i can put up with a bit of cringe i guess from time to time if it makes a difference to someone like sharon for sure yeah right it is now time for you to hear from our guest for this episode. Now, many of us do lead very busy lives, so engaging with politics might not be top of your list, especially when things feel so bloody grim at the moment. And, as usual, there's a lot of negative press around about politicians, so it's easy to forget that there are MPs from across the political spectrum who are fighting hard for their constituents on causes they feel passionate about. Well, Carolyn Harris is one of those MPs. She's the Labour MP for Swansea East and she's also the chair of the Menopause All-Party Parliamentary Group. You'll hear exactly what that is very soon. Uh, But let me first tell you that Carolyn breaks a lot of the stereotypes of what you might expect an MP to look like or be like. Uh, For a start, she is looking resplendent uh, right now in bright red hair, although it has been pink and it will be purple in the near future. So, Carolyn... Welcome to Effin Hormones. Thank you for having me. It's an effing pleasure. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it is an effing pleasure. Well, we will get on to the menopause shortly, obviously. Uh, but first yeah. of all, you're not maybe what a lot of people think of when they think about an MP. And you definitely don't come across, I don't think, as being a career politician. So God, no. how did you get into that game? Oh, God, long story short. Um, right time, right place, I suppose. I never thought I was the material to be a politician, so I didn't do it when I should have done it, maybe 
50, 20 years ago. And I waited till I was 55. But literally, I was in the right place at the right time. And I got selected. And I got elected. So I very much have the mind that in order to get the most out of this job, I need to use it as a platform to make change, to make other people's lives better, which is what I tried to do up until now. But um, definitely not a career politician. I was a dinner lady and a barmaid, for God's sake. I no. love it. Yeah, nobody ever wow. thought I was going to be a politician. And was that good grounding <laughs> for being a politician? I mean, you've got to meet a lot of people, right? Yeah, I mean, I think my entire life has been good grounding because I see things in other people who maybe have been in this, this game for different reasons to me, don't see. So I, I know what it's like to struggle. I know what it's like to have you no know, troubles in your life. I know what it's like to be worried about where the next meal is going to come from. So when I talk about those things, I'm not just trying to think what it must be like. I actually know what it's like. And I think that makes me more productive in trying to affect change because I talk about stuff that I've experienced. And I bet your constituents really relate to you for that reason, don't they? Yeah, I suppose so. But, you know, politicians are, there's a perception about politicians that we are a little bit like teachers, you know, you don't think teachers got a private life. You think teachers are not in the cupboard at the end of the school day and <laughs> they go up in the cupboard the next floor and they come out. And I think people think that are politicians. So sometimes yeah. you go to places and they've obviously tidied up or maybe painted or put the best clothes on because they know you come in. And I get really embarrassed about that because that makes me think that they think that I'm something special and I'm not something special and no politician is special because they're only there because of the people they represent. So um, I always want to meet the expectations of my constituents. I want to be there for them, but I don't want them to put me on a pedestal and, and think that you know I got there because I was clever or I was talented because anyone could do what I'm doing, anyone. You say that, Carolyn, but you have managed to get two bits of legislation through Parliament, um, which for our political system is a pretty impressive thing to do. So for those people who don't know, one of those was about changing the amount of money that fixed odd betting terminals paid out. And the other one was to create the Children's Funeral Fund, which means that parents get that support at a time when they need it the most. Now, how do you manage to get MPs from all across the political spectrum to, to support you and get what you want, really? Because I only ever ask for things which are the right thing to do. So with the Children's Funeral Fund, I lost my son, Martin, in a road accident when he was eight. And I was a dinner lady at the time. Mm. My husband was a manual worker on the railway. So finding money for a funeral for our child was just not something we'd ever, ever thought was going to be needed. So we just didn't have the money. We found the money. Friends gave us money, did a collection, and David went and, and did took the back loan out and we paid for the funeral. But I know how painful that was. And I did. I don't think I realised until years later how painful that was because it, it, it was one of those emotions that got buried in the grief. When I suddenly, when I realised later on in life just how embarrassing it was that we didn't have the money and how inadequate I felt because I didn't have the money. And that's when I did go into Parliament and thought, right, I could see the lay of the land, if you like, I could see that I now suddenly had a captive audience. I had that chamber and there were certain times that I could say things 
and nobody could question it. And that's what I did. So I done it. And once I said it once, I think people and people were stunned into silence when I said it. And then all of a sudden, when I arrived on up to speak, people were like holding their breath to think, oh my God, what's she going to say now? And in the end, they knew I wasn't going to go away until I did get the right answer. And in the right, in the end, I did get the right answer. But I lost three pieces of legislation. Oh, but, sorry. Ooh. Because the menopause, oh, the HRT for women in England will now happen from um, April the 1st because uh, as the one annual a year fee of £18.70 because of the latest piece of legislation. But again, it's something that Woo. doesn't affect me because I don't pay Let's have a round of applause just for that alone. Woo. And everything yeah. else. Exactly. But Brilliant, I, just, that doesn't benefit Brilliant. me because I don't pay for my prescriptions. I live in Wales. But, you know, I'm very aware that women in England are at a disadvantage. So the fight was about that. The fight was about getting a menopause out there on the Fitzgerald agenda and, and raising awareness for it. And HRT became the poster girl. But, hey, whatever it takes, get the message out. You, you live in Wales. And yeah. am I right in thinking people in Wales don't pay for prescriptions? People in Scotland, yeah. is it right that it's prescriptions free. are free in Scotland yeah. as well? And I don't know what the situation is in free. Northern Ireland. Is it the same? Right, so it's just us yeah. in England yeah. who have to pay for it, and we've been paying for HRT every month yeah. or whatever, however often yeah. we need it, each time. Yeah. Can I just say a massive, massive thank you on behalf of the English? <laughs> yes, yes. Unless <laughs> you don't beat us at run three, then that's fine. <laughs> Can't promise that, can we? Come on. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think that that is tremendous, and I don't think even a lot of people even know or re- no. realise that this is the case. This is huge. I mean, this is costing a this lot of people huge. a lot of money and it is a life-changing set of drugs. What what will it cover? Will it cover everything that a woman might it's need? Gonna be, on when I asked that question last Wednesday in the chamber and somebody sent me something today which had been published somewhere else, I've not been told the answer, but according to this article, it's all HRT projects. So I've written again to the minister today to say, very nice that you managed to get this published somewhere. I'll go tell the person who asked the question before you go <laughs> telling everybody. Yeah. Um, didn't quite say in those words. I did use parliamentary language. Um, but I could use choice language very, very many times and the way that this government treats women's health. You know, it's just, it's, it's effing appalling. It is effing appalling. <laughs> I love yeah. the way you keep using yeah. our brand. It's fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> well, so we're going to get cheaper prescriptions, thanks to you. Now we just need to get the supply sorted as well. I've had to get progesterone yeah. off a friend. I mean, it's impossible to get some HRT at the moment in England. Black market. There's literally yeah. black market dealing. But there's a way to solve that problem, and that is to have a national formulary. So at the moment, all local health boards decide what products they will make available in the pharmacies and what products doctors can prescribe. So... It has to go through a committee, which anything that goes through a bloody committee is going to take forever and a day, isn't it? But if we had the national formulary, then all products would be available on... So when you go to the doctor, you've got a sciatica, and they type in sciatica, they get a list of the medication that's available locally. And the same with HRT. So they put in HRT, and they get a list of what's available locally. But if you're not stocking everything, or you're not recommending everything, then some products will be stockpiled, which we know they are, 
And other products, which you are stocking, go out of stock really quickly. Now, the government would say that any doctor can prescribe any medication, which is true. But if you are a busy GP, your go-to place is going to be the list of medication which your local health board has guaranteed will be available to you to be able to prescribe. You're not going to start trolling the internet looking for other medication that you probably don't know exists anyway. So Mm. that's the problem. It's got to be made simpler, hasn't it? Yeah. Howdy, this episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. So what's BetterHelp, Ems? Basically, it is online therapy. BetterHelp matches you to one of 32,000 licensed therapists based on your location and your preferences. And then you can access therapy from your laptop or even your phone. Helen, you've uh, been through therapy, right? Yeah. I was going through life not realising that all these horrible negative thoughts that were just like weighing down on me, that actually I could set myself free from them. Going to therapy has given me tools to work on those thoughts and realise that, you know what, I don't have to believe those thoughts. And now I'm like, is that really the case, Helen? Do you really, you know, and and when things like that are going on, I now know that I need to go and do some yoga, meditation. And you know what, none of that would have happened without me having therapy. I've just gone on to their website and straight away it asks you just several questions so that you get the right therapist for you. Then it asks you about your sexuality. So I put in that I was a lesbian. Straight away, the website asked me, did I want a therapist that specialised in LGBTQ plus advice? And I put yes, because that to me is really, really important. And I think that would be important for a lot of people, really. Awesome. To find out more about it and to get 10% off your first month, head to betterhelp.com slash effinghormones. That's betterhelp.com slash effinghormones. Well, as we're finally talking about the menopause, are we right if we get slightly personal and ask you about your menopause journey, Carolyn? Because we've yeah. all got one and everyone's yeah. had a different experience of it, really. What was yours? Well, mine is probably not dissimilar to many other people in that I was ignorant and I was menopausal. So I did not know I was menopausal. I mentioned Lucy Martin. So um, that played a big role in my menopause because when I lost Martin, I spent the following years trying to fill my world up with things that wouldn't allow me to stop and think about the enormity of losing a child. I had Sue after was so I had two kids at that point, and Martin and I had Sue. I lost uh, Martin, so I'm left with Sue. Roll on to 2001, I hit 40, and I get pregnant again. So Tom is born um, in 2001. 2003, I get pregnant again. I'm like, my God, now what's going on here? I am an ectopic pregnancy. So oh. from then until 2010, I had really bad periods. So they are erratic. They, there's no pattern to them. They're, you know, some of them were heavy. Some of them were nothing. So in 2010, I bled for about six or seven months. And I bled oh, continually. Gosh. I was literally going through about 30 or 40 sandwich hours. It was horrendous. Wow. So when I eventually went to my GP and ended up in hospital almost immediately after being seen. The nurse said, oh, here comes a woman who's the walking dead. So I'd gone so anemic after losing all this blood. They couldn't even 
doing the investigation. So within mm. like 48 hours, I had a couple of pints of blood, I had a pint of million, they did the investigation, found massive fibroids, removed them, never had the period since. So first thing, I don't know when my periods ended and the fibroids started bleeding. That's the first thing. Second thing, I come out to hospital and I go into this deep depression. I'm trying to rationalize this and think, why would I be going into this depression? So I put it down to the fact that I'm physically weak, I'm psychologically weak, and I'm emotionally weak. Hmm. This is the first time I've allowed myself to stop because I can't do anything. So I'm re-grieving Martin. So I convinced myself I'm having a nervous breakdown. I convinced my GP I'm having a nervous breakdown. And I end up on antidepressants. There were times during the early days when on top of the antidepressants, I was I, I was also having Valium and Diazepam. I didn't have mm. a prescription of Diazepam. I had like three tablets for the really bad times. Mm. And um, six, say six, well, five months into being on antidepressants and um, not being in work, I, I start catastrophizing that if I don't go back to work, my, my wages will stop. My husband will leave me, my house will be repossessed, my kids will be taken into care, all these things. So I force myself to go back into work. So then I, I go back to work and I spend the next four years working, but doing the same old thing, which is push, 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 not allowing myself to think about things. I've had symptoms, but I put it down to the fact that I was getting older. Never in a million years did I associate the sickness, the flushes, the because uh, they weren't all the time. I didn't mm. constantly have flushes. I had one every month or so, but not enough for me to think, oh, I'm having all flushes. I couldn't get up off the chair, you know. I put it down to the fact that I was still weak after having the operation. Um, mood swings, you know, anxiety. Uh, my nails were brittle. My hair was, was thinning. Anyway, none of this. I didn't link anything up at all. Became an MP in 2015, and then I was really tired. So I was really pushing myself every day to do my work, do my work. And I didn't want to go away. I didn't want to go on holidays. I didn't want to go out because I was too tired. And I would say, look, I'm away all week in London. Why do I want to go away? I'd rather come home and spend time with my family than to jump on a plane. And I'd worry about, right, I'm going to pack the clothes. I've got to come home and wash the clothes. I've got to put the clothes. Oh, God, it was all too much. Um... And I was even talking to women and supporting other women on the menopause, talking about it in the chamber and saying, I sent through mine, sent through it. But I do sympathise with women who are menopause and I was talking about the bloody symptoms and I still wasn't recognising. And then one day it was oh like God. somebody put a mic on and I, I realised I'm talking about other women. I'm talking about myself. I'm menopausal. Yeah. And then another two years... Having embraced my menopause, it took me another two years to get to actually go and get HRT. So first of all, why did it take so long for the penny to drop, do you think? And, and you, by the way, you're not alone because almost yeah. everyone we've had on this podcast, including everyone that presents it, has had the same experience. Yeah. Why it, does it take us so long? Ignorance, lack of knowledge, yeah. lack of awareness. I mean, nobody spoke to me about menopause. My mother certainly did. I mean, my mother and her sisters had a conversation about one of my aunties didn't call it the menopause, they'd come up with some other name for it and, and told me to leave the room because they wouldn't like for me to hear these things. I was 36. 
Can I go to a bloody Put show? Oh, my God. <laughs> and, but no one, right? And, I mean, I used to think it was because it was a Welsh thing, that we you know, fashioned and we, you know, we stayed and we reserved and we don't talk about these things. But now I know that most women have not had the conversation about menopause. Now, we don't even now talk about periods. You know, it's taken, it's taken us all these years to talk about periods. Now we're comfortable with periods. Let's start on the menopause. You know, we just need to talk about it. The more we talk about it, the better we'll be. Gosh, definitely. But, but still yeah, another definitely. two years, once you understood it, to then get your right medication as well. So because, it's... I mean, I thought I couldn't take it, that I was too old. Because I'd never looked into this. Because nobody'd ever told me about it. I didn't know getting HRT was possible for me. I thought, oh, I won't get HRT, I'm too old. And when I did go, I went private. Because I was terribly, terribly concerns that my doctor would say well no you know and I didn't want to have the arguments I just didn't want to have the fight and by now I'd been convinced that I needed to try it and I went and paid private I got it I've now since gone back to my GP and I get I get it for free not testosterone by the way I still pay privately for that because you can't get it on prescription yet but we're oh. working on that okay but, well, we were uh, we were supposed to record a few months ago, weren't we? And uh, I remember you had to cancel because oh. you had lost your... Uh, <laughs> what happened? Oh, done. <laughs> now, if anybody's seen the bit of campaign I've had on with every, the delivery company, <laughs> here's how it started. Oh, yes, yeah. I had... Oh, God. I had... I ordered two tubes of testosterone. So I, I, I reasoned that it was one prescription cost for the two tubes. So I was better off spending the 200 quid or having two tubes than spending 130 and having one tube. I bought two tubes. Testosterone, I get an email to say it's been delivered. I get an email to say it has been delivered. I get a photograph showing it's been delivered. Classic. I didn't knock at the photograph. I just said to my husband, as my testosterone arrived, he said, oh, I don't know, there's loads of parcels here. So I get on <laughs> and I go through all. I mean, I'm like, true, looking these open, thinking, where's my testosterone? Not there. <laughs> so I then go online and look at the photograph. It's not my bloody front door. Oh, God. So <laughs> oh I my send God. my husband out with a photograph of somebody's front door, knocking around the street, oh, says, you've got to knock the front door when you find it, and turn up. I've got to have my stuff back. This is like a murder mystery, isn't it? I know. But I think when I spoke to you, you were running around Swansea also delivering other people's oh. parcels, weren't you? That had been incorrectly <laughs> delivered to you whilst you were trying to find your testosterone. I came home and I get some old somebody else's parcels. All my parcels are missing. I'm like, search, Ron, he's on somebody's front door. It was horrendous. It's all sorted that Well, it's not even sorted, but I've had my testosterone. So we've all right done that one. Thank God. She found her effing hormones, um, everyone. Yeah, I did find my effing hormones. And you took every to task over it as well. Yeah, I didn't actually mention in the chamber about my testosterone. But I should have. I should have said, and they didn't tell him about my effing hormones. And this is why I'm effing swearing my head off right now. Hi, Gary. Just to let you know, we did actually contact Avery, and here is what they said. Over the busy Christmas period, we faced a unique set of challenges, including unprecedented volumes, the Royal Mail strikes and labour shortages. Despite incredible efforts from our people, our service was not as good as we would have liked. 
However, we are committed to redoubling our efforts this year, including a focus on recruitment and our customer service. We met with Carolyn Harris to understand her and other consumers' concerns and are acting on them. Right, let's get back to the interview. <laughs> this is your challenge. We wanted to use the phrase effing hormones in Parliament next. That's, I think, yeah. what we need to hear. When yeah. I find a way, I went find a way, there's um, something on the Thursday. I can't do it tomorrow because I, I'm, I'm speaking in the city tomorrow. I'm speaking as one of the large banks in the city oh. about um, menopause. Oh, right. Tell on, a, on a Thursday, there's a session in the House of Commons and it's business questions. It's when the need in the House comes to the dispatch box and you can basically ask them anything. So I like to use that occasion. I did bring every up then, actually, but more often than not, I, I do something like there may be a charity in my constituency by me giving them a mention, get a press release out of it and whatever. So I'm going to find a way of asking the leader of the house something about effing hormones. And I will get her to oh say effing hormones. <laughs> I'm not sure how we do this, but we'll do it. <laughs> that would be... Thank this you. is the best thing ever. We're, we're impressed. I believe in you, Carolyn. You can do this. You can do it. Um, so what will you be telling the, this big bank then about um, the menopause? What, well, what words of advice for them? Well, it's not so much advice. It's just a, it's awareness raising. And, you know, I'm doing these all the time. I, I've gone to several um, cities, including my own, and gone to loads of companies. And it's a bit like a fireside chat. So I talk to them about my experience and I give the women in the audience the opportunity to understand that they're not alone and something in my story may resonate with them. It gives an opportunity for the men in the audience to actually think, and men usually are the first to come up to me after and say, I really get it now. And I didn't realise what my wife was going through or I didn't realise what my partner or my mother or Mm. my sister was going through. And it gives employers an opportunity to get honest, frank conversation about how they can make their workplace better. And I find that the big companies are really receptive to this because they understand they are losing talent and they're not attracting talent because of the menopause. So many women walk away from work. It's a no-brainer, isn't it? Yeah. I'm glad that more companies are waking up to that. Companies are waking up to that, but um, but recently there was some recommendations made by, is it the Women's yeah. Equalities Committee? Yeah. About, what, can you tell us about oh, that? Can I swear? Yes. Yeah. You can on a podcast. You fucking can, Carolyn. Do it. So I, was, I was so fucking annoyed last week. So it's the Women and Health, uh, Women and Equalities Committee, of which I'm a member, and the recommendations are around, being very similar to what the APPG have recommended. Um, they wanted specific... Um, menopause leave so it doesn't get counted in sick leave it's not saying you need a, a normal space of time away from work to get in to adjust this was about if you are not well today then it doesn't go on your sickness record because it's menopause leave and they rejected it because they said it was discriminatory to men what oh, um it's just appalling yeah i mean so much of what we were asking them to do was such common sense things but i mean for me they they said there was no uh, necessity for companies to have a menopause policy now this isn't a statutory policy this is businesses having some kind of framework by which 
they have worked and talked to their employers and how best they feel that they can continue in work with and they're not even adaptations. They like making sure you've got enough uniform, then you haven't got overbearing uniform, then you can have a window open, that there's a fan available, that you can you know you can work flexible, you can come in later, go you know, these types of things. And by saying to companies you don't need to do that, for me it was dismissing women completely out of hand. But they mm. they just so short sighted. They cannot see the benefits. Didn't they try to twist it as well and say that um, it it may encourage companies not to take on women because they'd have to you know bend over backwards and do all these things yeah, in case when, they hit the menopause while they're employed by them? They do tend to twist things and less less they say that the better. The only thing that they did agree to, and I was really shocked by this, they mm-hmm. agreed to introduce the once annual fee payment for HRT. Didn't realise it was their idea, mm. but let's give them a round of applause. They did absolutely nothing. <laughs> nothing. They just said they were going to do what they had to do because of, of what I managed to bring on. It was mainly them saying no to things, wasn't it, as well? They said and no to everything. They also rejected about making it a protected characteristic. Yeah. What was your reaction to that? Um, they Their argument was that we would be covered under the disability legislation. Menopause is a disability. It's not a disability. It's no, not a disability. It's a condition. You know, so. So is that saying like pre- being pregnant? Is a well, disability? exactly, exactly. So it's just short-sighted enough, isn't it? I mean, it's going to come down to ignorance, um, money, and being afraid to be brave. Cowards, in other words, you know. And it just do they think it's all a bit too woke? This is this what part of? I mean, I, I don't think they'd say this. that. But there could no. be a bit of that. And ministers not being strong enough to fight the corner for women despite being women themselves. But isn't the leader of that committee, the chair of yeah. that committee? A yeah, good, yeah. I mean, she's as angry as I am. Oh, but. Mm. but this is what I mean. Like, I think this is what, you know, the fact that you get such wide cross-party support on a lot of what you say. Does it makes sense. In time, it makes sense. Hopefully in time there's a collective thing across all the, when, across all the parties. What I would say too. is there are 13 million menopausal women in the country. The first party that comes forward and says they're going to do something to help them, it's an election winner for me. Yeah, 100%. Yep. Do you think you can revisit these... Reasonable adjustments really is what they are, isn't it? Do you think you can revisit them or they'll ever get passed? Not with this government they won't. This government just no. are not interested in doing anything. But then this government are, you know, they, they are naturally dying on the vine. So we just have to work on the next potential government when I may have a certain advantage. Ooh, <laughs> I was hoping. Oh, I like so it. So one of the big things... Fighting talk. Yeah, so one of the big things we haven't talked about yet is another thing that they rejected, which was mandatory training for doctors, right? Insane. Absolutely insane. So 41% yeah. of medical schools have not got mandatory menopause training on the curriculum. So you have doctors who qualify Ooh. who know nothing about the menopause. And that's a hell of a lot of doctors out there. You know, and, and those... The two I've done about two hours, then 40 symptoms. So by the time you've read through the 40 symptoms, you've done your two hours of new. Mm. That is why <laughs> so many women are not being diagnosed because the doctors don't understand what's happening to the women. That's why women are so important to other women because it's talking, communicating and sharing, which is actually diagnosing each other on the fact they're menopausal. Yeah. After those 
13 million menopausal women in the country and one percent are being diagnosed and are having support and treatment. And I bet the high proportion of them has actually gone private. Yeah, well, I certainly had to do that to get yeah. HRT because I was palmed off with um, antidepressants like yeah. a lot of people we know were. But I have mm. to say, I think this is the one thing that has made all of us the most angry and weirdly it's had the least amount of coverage in the news and it's all been about the leave and the protected characteristics and no one's been talking about this why did yeah. that is carolyn i don't know i mean the media are funny i've done quite a lot of interviews around everything and i've done a couple of op-eds on it and opinion pieces and i've done um the two potential articles in the five the trouble, the media pick up on the headlines. So once one person have got the headline, the others pay catch up with it. The, mm. the rest of the stuff seems to drip out. That's my job is to drip feed it out as often mm. as I can and mention it as often as I can in different environments, different articles. And so I've done quite a lot. I, I did an article last night. I spoke to a journalist uh, and that was for the new statesman. And we talked about the doctors in there. I've done two op-eds, one for Politics Live and one for the Telegraph, I think it was. And I mentioned about the doctors there. So we will keep the pressure up. But, and we've got so much ammunition, we could keep going to this Christmas on coming up with the bits they haven't done. Mm. And, and do you feel like you're a lone no. voice? I mean, obviously, it's good. No. In terms of the media, though, in no. terms of how... the media are really interested in this, you know, Every day I see a journalist in Port Sound, so I hear from a journalist or, uh, you know, and speak to a journalist on the telephone or something. And every day somebody is saying, we want to do a piece on this. We want to do a piece on that. I mean, people, and I, I believe, and I know I'm right, there is no area of social policy where there isn't a dimension which is affected by the menopause. So I'm doing a series of, like run tables, if you like. Like last week, we had people from the criminal justice system in. So we had barristers, we had prison officers, we had medical staff from within the prison, we had charities who work in prison, we had prison officers. So we have a mixture of people there who were talking about what it's like to be working in the system, in the prison system, when you're menopausal. And what about the women I'm in there? How many of them because of the menopause has led them to do something silly and they've ended up in prison. How many of them in there are menopausal and have been days out into the sentence because of bad behaviour? Now, how many are there and they haven't got adequate access to clean clothes, showers, sanitary products? How is that affecting them? So that's one area. Then I talk to family barristers who were telling me that the consequences for women, divorce goes up during menopause. How many women make decisions during a, a, a divorce settlement, assuming they're going to be in work for another 20 years? For example, buying your spunks out of a property, you take the mortgage based on your income there and then. Within five years, you can't afford to pay the mortgage because you've had to reduce your hours. So you end up on a sickness benefit and the state ends up paying the interest on your mortgage. You, know, you may be in a job and you can't, physically, you can't do the job. So you end up reducing your hours. You don't pay for national insurance. So when you actually do get your state pension, you're going to get a reduced pension. You've got to be dependent on pension credits to top up your pension. So you become a burden on the state. Um, 
you could end up domestic violence increases in menopause. And that's both ways. So a lot of domestic violence starts because the woman doesn't want to have sex and the, the partner doesn't understand that. So there's violence. Some women are victims and suddenly retaliate and they end up being in court for being perpetrators of domestic violence. And some women may make really bad decisions which lead them to the criminal justice system. Some women become addicted to something that takes their mind off the, the menopause, like alcohol, like drugs, like problem gambling. Three o'clock in the morning, you've got nobody to talk to, you're at a loose end, you're frightened, you don't know why you feel like you feel. All of a sudden, you go on your phone and there's an advert, come and play online bingo. Once you're in that trap, you can't get away from it. So when you think about all the areas of social policy, where if we were just thinking about the menopause, we may have not made the decision that we made in that policy, or we might put it a different way to protect women. It's not about special treatment. It's about giving us normality. So my mm. job is to, and I'm really serious about this, is to look at every single area of social policy and demonstrate to the decision makers how much better policy could be if they give consideration to the menopause. Do you know, that was just fascinating Bloody listening hell. to that. And I mean, I've worked mm. in prison, so has been, and I've never even thought about the impact of menopause on those women in the, yeah. in the prison that I work with. I never even thought about it because I was a bit younger at the time and it just wasn't my thinking. You know, you yeah. locked up for 24 hours a day. You know, I'd been in there and they'd been banging the doors and all they got mental health problems, have they? I mean, how many women did we lock up in asylums for being a stereotype? How many of them were menopausal yeah. women? Mm. Well, they say that, don't yeah. they? I mean, there's a lot of anecdotes about people of our mum's generation yeah. who got carted off. Well, that's what they'd yeah. say, wouldn't it? They get carted off because, you know, she'd lost it. Yeah. Or it was their time of life or whatever. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's there throughout history. And the witches, I guess, how, as well. How, and the yeah. witches. And the <laughs> yeah. white could be a witch. Hysteria. Hmm. Hysteria, the name hysteria comes from the womb, doesn't it? The womb, Is it Latin? Yeah. Hist- Hyster- well, that's why it's hysterectomy, isn't it? Above my head now. You know, above my head, we're talking Latin. <laughs> She's definitely <laughs> it. Might be Greek. It might be Greek. It's all Greek to me. It could be Greek, yeah. It's all Greek to me. It's all Dutch. So we've, we've covered quite a lot there, but what else is it that you're you're looking to get, get changed? What, how else are you looking to, to change policy to make life a bit better for people, for women in, in midlife? These things come to me. So if somebody comes to me tomorrow and says, have you thought about, I will think about it. I, so I don't know what else. I just know that I just know that I've got a long agenda and I want to change. I want to change. I want to make sure that companies respect women. I want justice system to reflect on menopausal women. I want the home office to reflect on it. I want base to reflect. I just want every area to give them consideration as to how they can make life better and more normal for menopausal women. Because the country gains, and if we get it right, we can we can share that message and the world gets it right. You know, I just cannot believe it's 2022 and we're now having the conversations about something that has affected over 50% of the population. 23, yeah. <laughs> for all these years. Finally at the end of January. <laughs> <laughs> we've we've yeah. lost years, haven't we? Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. yeah. And is one of the things Gosh. you're pushing for for everyone to have checks at forty five? Is that something you're keen on? 
Well, yeah, I mean, we said 45 because it seemed to be the, the age that people were suggesting. There is no actual age, is there? No. But I would like every time a woman goes no. to the doctors and has a smear, no. you know, to have a leaflet to understand what the menopause is. Every time they go and have um, a coin fitted, have a chat about the menopause. But at some point during that early 40s, a physical sit-down appointment with the doctor that says, this is going to be, if not with you, then it's around the corner. And know yeah. that this is... Because otherwise, it's like a bloody freight train, isn't it? And it just sits you, and you don't know what's wrong with you. That's why we have so many women committing suicide. But that's the problem, isn't it? If the doctors don't know what it is... I mean, my GP said, oh, you won't... You won't experience any menopausal symptoms till you're 51. I was 42 when I started having perimenopause and mm. migraines and tension headaches and palpitations and I was sent for all sorts of heart checks and everything and lots and lots and lots and lots of symptoms until I was 45. So three years before a GP said to me, actually, yeah. I think you're um, going into menopause. But if nobody knows that, there's no point having these appointments if the no. staff don't know what the... I mean, it's not well, just doctors, is it? It's practice nurses who can help and pharmacists of course and, it is. But and others. I would like to see it on the quaff. So do you know what the quaffs are? No. So no. the quaffs the, are... Um, out, quality outcomes it, yes. framework. So if yeah. you go to a doctor with a bad fox and they do a blunt test, you think, what the hell are doing that for? There are certain medical conditions which they get incentivized for pre-guessing so they will know if your cholesterol is high so they they will work out how many people in their surgery potentially will have heart disease in 10 years time based on your your cholesterol now that kind of thing there's nothing on the coughs about women's health so if a doctor had to no. look at Ooh. how look at the menopause for the coughs They'd all want to get trained on it because it'd be incentivized. So if we put it on the quaffs, then we doing women a great service. Then the health check would be all part of the doctor's quaff so that they could guess how many women in their surgery are going to be hitting the menopause in the next year, two years, three years, so on and so forth. I mean, it, sh it shocks me that 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 demographic kind of assessment isn't done. Nothing. So, oh my God, it's even worse than I thought. Oh, it is. Honestly, it's a re it is really bad, and that's why we have to. That's why I'm saying there's no one thing I want to do. There's lots of things I want to do, but I it, it, they will prioritize themselves. I don't want to say this is more important than that. The first one was a raising awareness. We done that when we had the private members bill. Now we take everything that happens and we make it a major issue. And we bang the drum on that area until we get some kind of success. And we start talking about the next really important thing and so on and so forth. You're doing amazing work with menopause because you have raised awareness. And I mean, I was talking to a colleague recently and I was saying how we were going to be speaking to you. And I was saying it's, it's such a shame that, that none of the recommendations have been or one of them, but the, all the rest, I think there were 12, haven't been passed. 
And I said, it's so frustrating. And she said, well, actually, people are talking about it. So it's working. And yeah. I and she totally flipped it around. Her name's Emma. She totally flipped it around. She said, everybody's talking about it. She said, you're talking about it. Your podcast's talking about it. My friends are talking about it. My colleagues are talking about it. And I thought, actually, two, three years ago, before yeah. we did this podcast... Nobody was talking about perimenopause. Nobody was talking about menopause. Nobody was talking about women's suicide rates. All these things are are getting the attention they need and they deserve. So uh, you're doing an amazing job because you are raising this awareness. I mean, we're not necessarily getting all the results we want right now, but two years ago, it wasn't even in the public discourse, was it? But we will get there because bit Mm. by bit, the decision makers will realise that we're right. Because the the more we can show them how much better women are when they get the right treatment, the more we are proving our own argument. And I think there are more women now than there were two years ago actually getting the right treatment because they now know know what to ask for. And I think, do you think that the whole discussion around menopause is 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 opening up the whole wider question of women's health equality and access for women with endometriosis? Yeah, yeah. definitely. Because you can't have one without the other. You can't talk about one part of women's health without talking about women's health per se so yeah definitely absolutely just off the back of all of that all the incredible work you're doing everything that you said what can we do what can people what you're doing now many people who are well we've got a podcast but everyday people who are at home you know there's so much crap in the news about politics so many of my friends who are otherwise you know politically can be quite engaged have disengaged because of all the nonsense that's going on and my fear is is that we will lose the conversation or the conversation will get quieter. Um, so how can people, people listening to us at home or, you know, what can we tell people? What can we get people to do? Well, talk and engage. I mean, there is nothing better to get this message out than talk. But there's only one way we're going to change things and that's the politics. And sometimes mm. people need to understand that even... Even though this is a women's health issue, we need the politicians to make the change. So they must lobby their politician. Write a letter to the politician. Ask them, have they joined my APPG? What's their thoughts on the menopause? Have they, you know, if I put in for a debate, make sure that they turn up and speak or at least ask me the question. Because the more and more politicians who are engaged, the more chance we got of making politics a better place and influencing policy decisions and influencing decisions and influencing and prioritizing women's place in society because we we are not we've come so far but we've got so much further to go and you know, don't stop halfway you're just going to keep going if a, if a dinner lady from Swansea can make changes then anybody can make changes Yes, Marilyn. Lo- I'm oh, there we falling go. in love with you here. This is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you are so empowering. It's exactly right. You're a dinner right. lady from Swansea. Yeah. But you're not just any dinner lady from Swansea. Yeah, but you? I am. I am. It's just that I'm maybe Golbia. Um, and I've got nothing to lose. <laughs> I, I always say that I'm not smart. No matter, no matter what ends happens in life, nothing's going to ever hurt me that much. So I think mm. I, I carry that now in that. I'm not afraid to ask. Some people aren't afraid to ask questions in case they're stupid questions. There is no such thing as a stupid question. Mm. And if you don't ask what's on your mind, how are you going to change things if you're always wondering 
But you were free to ask the question on the end and you're going to change anything in life. So I'm not special, but I, I know I am. I have this attitude that if it needs to be moved, I don't want to phone somebody up to come and move it for me. I can pick it up and move it myself. And that's what I do. Oh, thank God. Well, thank God there are politicians like you. Did losing your son, did losing Martin become a bit of a driver for you with, with making changes and... Definitely. You know, I wouldn't be what I am now if I hadn't lost yeah. Martin. I, I had a decision to make. I mean, I had two decisions to make. The one on the night I lost him, when I sat in the bath, and I made a decision whether I would go to him or stay with Stuart. And I did a mathematical calculation about who had who. I decided to stay. That was the first decision. And then the next decision was that I could either go down and sink so low that, you know, my life would be worthless. Or I could go the other way and try to do something to make him proud. And I went the other way and tried to make him proud. My God, he'd be proud. I'm, I'm, I'm just feeling that. so emotional just hearing you talk yeah, because, yeah. you know, we've all lost people that are close to us, but to lose a child is, you know, something unimaginable. And, and I give him a legacy. You know, the children's yeah. thing in front is Martin's fund. That's his legacy. No, no matter what ever happens in my life, I give him a legacy and I won't go away. So I'm absolutely certain that we've changed the narrative, we have changed the agenda, we've changed the environment and women are at last getting what they need to have, which is normality. Well, we're behind you, man. Every step of yeah. the damn way for everything at it that we can, for sure. We're here, yeah, yeah. right behind Amen you. Amen to thank all you. of that. And thank you so much thank for coming on Hormones. And thank you so much for thank everything you. you do for all women and being an absolute menopause warrior. Carolyn Harris, everybody. Woo! <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Carolyn. Thank you. Wow. What an interview. What a woman. And I don't know about you, but I'm feeling really empowered. That was a real call to action for all of us. So I hope that you can get involved in this menopause mm. revolution as well. A massive thank you to Carolyn Harris, MP. And that is it for this episode of Effing Hormones. You'll hear from us again in around a month's time. Remember, if you like what you hear and you've got something useful out of it, do click on the Be an Effing Star section on effinghormones.com. And please drop us a couple of quid to help us make effing hormones. We totally get that it's a difficult time of year. And in fact, a very difficult year. So all that you're able to do or give, we are very, very grateful. And as well as that, if you can please rate us, review us and follow this podcast. It just means that more people get to hear about us, which is all good. Thank you so much. Thanks for all your love. Bye. 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 Bye.